All right, welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz and Adam, I think I have some breaking news. I heard off in the distance oh. something about who is controlling Britney's Instagram. Uh, I think we should get working on this and maybe like dedicate the full hour to it next week. Hmm... She's uh, she's been through a lot for Britney. I, it's, that uh, is that's true. I just I what qualifies as breaking news these days is uh, is pretty funny. Echoing I mean, what's qualified as breaking news has always been funny. Like uh, have like if you watch the news, they'll break they'll say breaking news, but it was a story that broke like twelve hours earlier, and it's like, well, it's not breaking news if it's broken. If it's broken, it's not breaking. You know, it feels like a whole like Seinfeld bit. But uh, that's... coming up next on Broken News, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's another discussion. Yeah. Uh, Open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be. Award to City Councilor Rodrigo Goller, who is going to talk with us about the city's efforts to eliminate homelessness and his, and uh, not his approval, but the council's approval of the new project at 65 Delhi Street earlier this week. That's going to be in the bottom half of the show. Before that, we're going to talk about the vaccine politics, the slowing rate of first doses, the rush to get young people vaccinated. And some terrible confusion from the World Health Organization of all places. But first, uh, some billionaires went to space and were like totally supposed to be happy about it because, uh, you know, all, all, all our problems down here on Earth are solved. So uh, Richard Branson <laughs> went to space and he floated for uh, three minutes. And uh, that was that was TV news for like seven hours on Sunday. Breaking news. <laughs> I saw, I think it was a tweet. Somebody said that the, the the Soviet space dogs back in the day were up higher, longer, and did way more science than Branson and company ever will. Oh, yeah, yeah reg- regular listeners know where I sit on this one <laughs> as somebody who feels that there shouldn't even be billionaires on Earth. So I'm, I'm of the uh, just keep them up there family, although that's not... Uh, family not really family <laughs> cadre i'm not sure what you'd call us but yeah considering how short the flight was it's it's difficult it takes a lot of uh, infrastructure to uh, keep them up there although um bezos hasn't gone yet and i saw an interesting uh side to side it was a weird it was like the you know comparing coke and pepsi and and the uh what is it called the new shepherd project was talking about how it's environmentally friendly but yet mm-hmm. virgin is uh, you know ruining the atmosphere with uh ozone depleting it's like come on you guys are all in this game together right but mm-hmm. branson is one of the poorer millionaire or billionaires right i mean that's <laughs> yeah he is really, you know, it's his, he's only his worth, worth five point billion or something billion, so he's like the yeah. poor cousin you know compared to bezos yeah. and uh musk and musk doesn't even musk talks a lot about space but he's not really he's not ever going is he is his projects are more let's fix up mars because earth is gonna suck right like i i uh well they call branson a swashbuckling entrepreneur i think it was in the new york times or maybe pbs and they he loves that that's what it's about right it's about pr the swashbuckling mm-hmm. entrepreneur and his hot air balloon or whatever it's 
That's what it's really about, right? It's not about science. Or is it? I don't prove it. Anyone out there, prove me wrong. (laughs) There there is a sort of a valid point about, you know, creating, you know, if if we're going to have more people, like average people going to space and stuff, it it is going to start with kind of like a jet center class. That's how um, airlines were and, and, you know, uh, aviation was kind of quote unquote democratized back in the 50s and 60s. It was like the wealthy who you know kind of made flying um this status symbol this luxury symbol and slowly but surely more and more people were able to afford being able to to fly i mean and it, I, I think it's probably not too far from the truth to say people still can't afford to fly that there's a an entire um equity gap in terms of just beginning on an airplane forget about getting on a spaceship. I think the real story here that was missed in all the, the, the flagellation of um, maybe I don't mean flagellation, but uh, you know, the, well, yeah. And and all the celebration of of Richard Branson is, um, this is a guy who, you know, this time last year was begging the UK for bailouts for his airline. And um, I mean, to his credit, he did invest some of his own money back into his airline to help kind of, smooth smooth through the rough patches but he was still in front of the you know working his his contacts and his lobbying to to get the uk government to help cover him um and this despite the fact he lives in the british virgin islands so he doesn't have to pay uh taxes uh to the uk the country he claims to love so much and uh he says it's not it's it's just because he loves the british virgin islands so much he just loves living there and it has nothing to do with he doesn't pay taxes living there which yeah right um but i mean it even extends to like where the 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 virgin galactic launch from this uh this american spaceport which is in the town of truth and consequences real name new Hmm. mexico um cost 220 million dollars all of it taxpayer funded mm-hmm. um like the spaceport itself there was some sort of deal between branson and 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 the government they would fund the actual spaceport he would fund all the infrastructure around the spaceport but still 220 million dollars and i looked this up through a local uh abc affiliate uh in the area apparently the 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 county of because it was split between two counties uh, the county of Dona Ana and uh, Sierra, uh, Dona Ana, Dona Era, mm-hmm. um, owes still ninety point two five million dollars. They will not have that paid off until twenty twenty nine, and this has been like a twenty year project, and it's all based on this promise. Like once this gets going, it is going to be a tourist mecca and bring in so much money to the local area. And people in the local area are like, well, this is like the busiest we've seen it this past Sunday. And it feels like we're still at the beginning of this thing, even 20 years after Branson was trying to get off the road. It does kind of like it. it, it, Not that I doubt Branson's sincerity, but it does sort of feel like we're in Lyle Langley territory. Yeah, it's it's uh, monorail comes to Springfield kind of stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, the the. uh, I you know I wonder if if uh, part of why Branson's in the British Virgin Islands is because it has his company's name in the in the address right. <laughs> He's still British, but Virgin anyway. Uh, yeah, nothing virginal about it. Uh, he's the interest on 
his investments could probably pay for the spaceport, right? But that again, this is what it's about. It's a, this is it's it's sales, and it's you know the the maybe not as much Branson, but it is to a degree. The corporate connections kind of go <clears throat> unspoken, right? There's no they don't talk about SpaceX and pretty much running NASA now, right? It's just all farmed out to them. The yeah. Space Force has connections to these guys, Bezos in particular, right? Weapons contracts, satellite systems in the case of Musk, that's the famous Starlink, right? Is being knocked together. I think it's for the FCC or in conjunction with them, right? Mm-hmm. So all of these self-made men, right? There's the, the connection between this, this government cash that used to be huge for going back to the days of the space program in NASA, like was massive. Mm-hmm. But when you can, you know, compared to like the budget of the Pentagon, which is just, I'm pretty sure Bezos has more money than the Pentagon budget, believe it or not. But yeah, cause he's, he's, he's top dog now, right? Mm-hmm. God of money. Yeah. He's, I think it's one, 188.8 billion is his net worth. Um, Musk's is, um, 153.3 billion. Um, but yeah, it's, you're right about sort of like, it's all about the business side of things and SpaceX has spent, and I found this number, 17 and a half million dollars on lobbying and that, uh, Mother Jones dug that up. Hmm. Um, and what they're doing is they're lobbying for this, as you say, these like lucrative government contracts, um, there's one about, you know, for SpaceX about like setting up a moon project and like delivering stuff to the International Space Station. And then uh, speaking of lobbying, because Bezos has lobbyists, too. And so you have U.S. Senator Marsha Cartwell, um, you know, bringing a bill saying that they need to fund a moon project for Blue Origin as well, which is Bezos project. So, you know. We can herald these billionaires all we want about, like, ooh, they're so bold, they're so adventurous, but they're, like, funding it all with taxpayers' money. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, you know, the government already has a space agency that <laughs> is, you know, always begging for cash. And, by the way, um, one of the biggest things NASA does is, like, climate change research. But, of course, you know, uh, you can't get funding for that because half the people who control the purse strings don't believe it. It's it's a it's a problem. But we'll fund all sorts of moon landings because if Elon gets a moon project, Jeff's got to get a, uh, a a moon project too. And I feel I feel real bad about like not 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 about talking about this way about the billionaires, but like I I do believe in space exploration. I do believe in you know the the science of you know exploring space and um colonizing space at some point but at the same time this is like it just feels icky the way we're doing this where we're just like signing it off to these like billionaire entities who feel like they're doing it for like brand recognition more than they're doing it for like actual altruistic reasons um because they don't do other things for altruistic reasons like pay their taxes (laughs) right exactly Bezos went two years, like 2007 and 2018, I think, without paying his taxes. Elon's had a couple of years where he didn't pay taxes either. It's just, you know, uh, you, you want to do your patriotic freaking duty. Well, why don't you start with paying your tax bill when it arrives? 100%. But the, yeah, what, what has been the most successful space exploration of the 21st century so far? Pretty much the robots on Mars, right? So un, mm-hmm. unpersoned. <laughs> yeah missions right because it costs the cost in preserving 
life in space is the cost, right? That's the, the billions come in where it's like we need to, you know, preserve these people and ensure them whatever and bring them back safely, right? If if it's Mars and it's one way, it's like who cares, right? Mm-hmm. But in in terms of data and things coming back and other countries involved too, it is on you know automatic missions. Mm-hmm. The early Mars pro- one of, is it one of the early Mars projects is still sending data back, right? After mm-hmm. all these years, they're like, oh, it might last ninety days, and years later, the thing sends a photo every once in a while. I'm still here. Uh, that's real science. And like you, you mentioned the the climate change science as well. It's like if these clowns got it together and pooled even some of their chump change investments, <clears throat> all of that could go a long way towards coming up with solutions. Musk poses and has, you know, well, my plant is all solar powered and I electric cars and all that jive. It, that's all still just smoke and mirrors too. You know, who tell, tell me a working person that you know that can afford a Tesla, right? Right. Well, and also it's supposedly an affordable Tesla now. It's still not affordable, right? It's you're still it's still this niche. It's still this product where it's like, well, it's green. It's like, well, is it really? You know, you could you can deep dive into that for, you know, at least an hour <laughs> more time than we have to discuss this but it's like there, there's just there's a lot of shilling going on here for stuff that's suspect and to make the billionaires look good yeah and unfortunately it's working because of like some of the gross laziness of people who work in tv news who feel more affinity for um billionaires than they do for um for like regular working people and it, and it shows they're just, the, you know, the, the, what I had, my biggest problems was like the abject fawning. There was not a single minute of like critical coverage. And I, I like turned it off at a certain point when I realized that, you know, CNN wasn't going to move on till anything else <laughs> until after Branson came back down. Um, but apparently, you know, CNN's Brian Stelter did try to inject some, sort of critical discussion into it like mildly like you know uh, talking about branson's you know so-called climate change um you know his bona fides as a climate change activist which you know go out the window when he's going to go floaty in space for a couple of minutes but it's just it's <laughs> it just there was there was nothing critical about it it was all fawning and it just it it it's it's like really infuriating because they're like serious questions that these guys have to answer and not just like how cool is it going to be when you go into space pretty cool <laughs> like that's not insightful and that's not that's not informative to the people because like we'd all like to go to space that would be cool but unfortunately i don't have a quarter of a million dollars in my pocket to give to richard branson for the trip so mm-hmm. branson gets off when he comes down and says have him killed man or something i don't know <laughs> We could have my mission. Yeah, he's yeah. always laughing. That guy. He's always yucking it up. Eh? I, I wonder. Yeah, yeah. He's the billionaire joker. He's uh, he's gassing people with laughy gas somewhere. Anyway, um, speaking well, of <laughs> speaking of medical treatments, uh, vaccine <laughs> politics are kind of back in the news because um, if you've been following the vaccine rollout, um, even here in Canada where we're doing astoundingly well in terms of getting people vaccinated. Uh, all the progress being made right now is on the second doses. If you watch the numbers, even just locally, the the second doses keep going up and up and up. And we are slowly cranking out first doses um, at a a much slower rate now, even though 
I, I don't know how it is in other public health units, but here in uh, Wellington, Dufferin, Guelph, if you have not gotten your first shot yet, you can just roll up to any public health vaccine clinic and go in and tell them that you have not gotten a first shot yet and they will move you to the front of the line. So, um, <laughs> cue jumping of a good kind, right? Well, cue jumping of a good kind, but I mean, it, it, this also plays into the fact that, you know, I think a lot of the people, and I saw this on the, the news, um, today, uh, this poor woman in, in Kitchener, Waterloo, who, um, hasn't had time to, she, she works as a server in an area restaurant. Oh, she hasn't wow. had time to go and get a, her vaccine yet. And somebody asked her if she'd gotten a va- her vac- a customer had asked her if she'd gotten a vaccine. She said no. And they got kind of snippy with her. It's like, well, we'll give you a tip once you go get your vaccine. And so she's like, well, that's kind of rude because I'm working all the time <laughs> and vaccine clinics are open eight to eight. So what am I supposed to do? Uh, I think that's where the, the sort of gap is right now with the first doses. But um I mean, it's it's going to be. I mean, this is where the 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 tricky part begins, right? It's like, how do we catch all the people who have not been sort of eager volunteers yet, for whatever reason? Yeah, especially somebody as you described who is a, a, still. We're still calling them essential. Mm-hmm. I I fall into that fold as well. I, I'm not sure when that will probably be dropped when COVID is dropped. We won't be essential anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and they have to make it available. But if she's working all day, it's like, how are you supposed to? You need to go to Midnight Madness, and then you're exhausted for your job the next day serving fully vaccinated people who feel it's there. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm all, as you know, I'm all for everybody or as many people as possible being fully vaccinated. But to pull something like that is is just dumb. You know, like I'll give you the rest later. Wasn't that the story about the the tip? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that you know, that is you really are playing politics with it at that point. Like we need to we need to be. I can't believe I'm going to say this. We need to be Canadian about it. <laughs> I think we're we are being, and I mean Canadian, the the classic cliche sense of nice and everybody's getting along, and because it is surprising, the, the the uptake sort of goes across the lines, right? Mm-hmm. Eighty. It, we're, I think we're at eighty percent now for the nation. Right? It's close. It's hovering around eighty mm-hmm. for first doses. And wasn't the goal seventy five? Have I got that right? Yeah. And it just from from there on, it gets better. Our, our return gets better. You would hope that everybody that's had a first one will get a second one. Hopefully, some of the drop off isn't. Well, you know, it'll probably just go away. And uh, which it's not going. To, it's not going to go away. The true test will be uh, September, right? Right. But it's you know everything that's you, you can uh, I you can under sort of understand hesitancy in people a little bit at least i can um when there is confusion as there is like Mm -hmm. to get fully political about it being announced earlier this week giving the uh, astrazeneca doses away to low and mid-income countries right right yeah and this has been they've made great hay of this a big political announcement we're giving away 18 million surplus doses they're not really surplus i mean a bunch of a bust a bunch of astrazeneca if i understand it right went to waste I would. Mm-hmm. People listen to the show know my first dose was AstraZeneca. I was perfectly willing to take it a second time. Mm-hmm. Why are we perfectly willing to send 18 million doses away and call it a success story, right? They never referred to it in that presser. I don't know if you saw it as AstraZeneca. They kept saying no. the COVAX, the COVAX program, the COVAX It was program. in the press release, though. It was in oh, the was press it? release. Okay. Yeah, they would so. have to. They would have to come clean about that because it would look really bad. But any of the sound bites that I saw, 
it was like they were really reluctant to say, you know, the AstraZeneca, no one wants. Let's dump it to third. Yeah, that's, I mean, third. and that's also kind of patented Trudeau government, kind of like we're, <laughs> mm. <laughs> this, this, this thing that like we really have no option to do and it's highly performative. We can, you know, we can make a big deal out of it. Look how awesome we are. All this vaccine that nobody's getting anymore because either people don't want it or like public health authorities aren't making it available anymore. So, uh, yeah, we're giving it away. We're awesome. Uh, yeah, it's it's not available, and they're like, oh, don't mix. Well, that that confusion that came from the WHO, yeah, whose messaging is usually pretty good, but then it's like, well, don't mix them becomes the story, right? It's like don't, uh, but that which wasn't it was a bit of a twist on what was said. So then, of course, right. we were like, oh, don't mix them. What do you mean? And again, well, adding to the confusion to a degree, right? But that's not necessarily the WHO's fault in this there case. Are, I mean, there are a couple of things wrong or how that thing went wrong. Number one is it was it was not like a for, like part of the formal WHO statement. It yeah. came off of a reporter question and I think like, in a situation... We're situa- just talking. Yeah. Right, in a situation like this, and I, I mean, speaking as a reporter, you don't kind of want to do it this way where you're submitting questions in advance, but when we're talking about high-level technical stuff that you kind of have to get right, otherwise people start um like getting out of line at Mm -hmm. at the vaccine clinics because they don't want to mix the doses because they read a headline probably it went down like this they read a headline as they went past it on facebook or twitter which is exactly how all this went wrong in the first place because cp24 which got hammered like even the doctor that answered the original question uh sumia sumia swanathan um even she like retweeted or, or, or replied to CP24 saying like this headline you're saying like don't mix uh, WHO says don't mix vaccines it's wrong that is not what I said and when you go back and you hear her she, that is actually not what she said she's talking very specifically about places um, that you know people are talking about getting a third vaccine and people shouldn't like just go out and get a third vaccine they should like you know follow public health advice and of course a lot of that too was started by pfizer who's like we have an idea let's get emergency authorization for third doses now you know for booster shots for people with low immune response and then everyone's like hold up like we're still trying to get everybody fully vaccinated now we're on to third shots and then meanwhile there's like huge swaths of the planet that aren't getting any vaccines at all and then we're talking in north america about getting third shots it's just um the message went way off track uh, this week with those with those kind of two announcements and mm-hmm. I, I understand the rationales but I mean like th- these communications have to be made very very clear and because otherwise I mean not only do you confuse regular people but it becomes you know ammo in the gun for anti-vaxxers mm-hmm. and I mean yeah it comes out of the WHO which they think was culpable with China with creating the crisis in the first place but as we've seen time and time again um, logic has no bearing on these worlds they, they will pick up on any kind of loose thread no matter where it's from and feed it into their um, alternative narrative and and that's why it just you know CP24 others have got to be careful when they write those kind of headlines again because no but hardly anybody reads past the headline <laughs> these days that's right yeah you need to it needs to be a lot tidier than that and the uh speaking of the third doses it was the 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 other two that normally comment was uh was it capricious was like mm-hmm. this business about the third dose doesn't make any sense and dr ryan the irish guy one of my favorites was like they're gonna they're gonna 
make a cake, have their cake and eat it. And then they want more cake. And he's talking about Pfizer. He's directly addressing Pfizer. They're saying like, you, you guys are just, you just want to make money off of this. He's calling them on it. Right. Yeah. But now, you know, there are places where people are getting the third shot. If, if I think they had mentioned Israel, but it's you know, severe immune problems. These are people with real deep health problems. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, very small uh, percentage. But yeah, and we may need, you know, they will say we may need boosters in the future, but the the common uh, line right now is like, no, we don't need this right now. You need it. Uh, giving somebody in a country that where no one has had a shot will do more mm-hmm. for the countries that want all of the shots in the long run. Mm-hmm. It's better for, and I, I hate using the terminology first world, third world, but that's pretty much where the line is, right? Mm-hmm. Let's call it the global south and then, well, us. Right. Mm-hmm. This is really about us and our, our, you know, climbing over each other to get these doses. And Canada really ramped that right up. It's like, well, we're going to get all these dope. We're going to get everything. We're going to get all this stuff. And then if we have too much, we'll give it away because we're a benevolent society. Right. It's like <laughs> there has to be a better way. And I hope out of all of this, the better way emerges where it isn't just that it isn't. It shouldn't be political. No, it should not be political. You know, it's like insulin wasn't political back in the day and polio and all these things that we point to as scientific success and saving lives. Right. You could even go back as far as smallpox. Right. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, this this will save lives. Do this rather than all the other stuff. And this, you know, we touched on the states a bit there. USA in, in the first topic there, the USA in in terms of the politics of this is unbelievable right mm-hmm. it's just the amount where your your personal politics will decide whether you're getting a vaccine or not mm-hmm. is unbelievable right mm-hmm. whereas in canada it's like across the board if you ask people their poll i think mclean's did a poll on this across the board it's like well into the 70 percent, 80 percent are like first dose second dose doesn't matter what your politics are there are exceptions to that the 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 People that are more willing to say no or denialist, I think, tops out with conservatives. And it's the People's Party I actually got to mention in this survey, right? <laughs> Those, and, you know, we've talked about in the past, this is, then some of the names you've named, uh, you know, this is the people you expect to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, hopefully things won't be too bad for them, but all, all signs point to you. You should probably do this, right? Mm-hmm. You gently encouraged, you forced it. It's like, oh. Well, I mean, the concern that those people have right now is that, you know, uh, Joe Biden and Dr. Fauci are going to come door to door and then uh, give you a vaccine. Take your and gun. Well, and while, yeah, while they're there, they're scouting for guns and Bibles and stuff. But I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's not funny. And at the same time, you know, all those guys, all these public health professionals are saying, like, this is now essentially a disease of the unvaccinated. That's who's mm-hmm. going in the hospital. That's who's dying. And these are the people who are going to create the next mutation of COVID that may not be stopped by the vaccine. So it's like all or may have less or the vaccines may have less of an effect. So it's I mean, the, the, the imperatives there, you're not just, you know, not doing this for you. You are actively uh, harming 
the, the greater society and greater society's ability to get past the pandemic. But we have to leave that there mm. and talk about uh, local stuff. We're going to talk about housing with Ward 2 Councilor Rodrigo Goller after this break. You are listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And that was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records 21 Mac Donnell, the little big record shop in downtown Guelph. That's from St. Vincent's newish album. I think it came out a bit earlier this year, but it is charted on the wonderful CFRU chart available at CFRU.ca. The album is called Daddy's Home, and the song is Down and Out Downtown. If Which you haven't heard it, it's new to you. So. Material, right? Like, <laughs> I have served it up on the plate. Adam, over to you. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, oh, shoot. What are we going to? Oh, I, yeah. I killed the moment. I apologize. I was, <laughs> let me just consult my notes here really quick. There we go. Um, yeah, so we had uh, Rodrigo Goller. Uh, we recorded an interview with him earlier this week. And uh, if you've been paying attention to stuff happening at City Hall, there's been a lot of movement this year. Speaking of things happening this year around uh, taking action on homelessness and getting people like supportive housing, transition housing, all types of different housing. Uh, local social housing, which has been a need very much um, well needed in the community for years. And Rodrigo Goller has been pretty outspoken about the need, and two of the projects that have come forward so far have been in his backyard, Grace Gardens, and now the 65 Delhi Street project, which was approved at City Council on Monday, and we talk about all that good housing stuff with him in this interview, and stay tuned for a little bit of a preview of next Monday's meeting about uh, potential motions concerning speeding in Guelph neighborhood. So uh, we will throw it to the interview right now. So, uh, Rodrigo Goller, thank you so much for coming back to the show. We're glad to have you back. My pleasure, Adam. Good to be here. Uh, I know that revisiting what happened at this week's meeting with uh, supportive housing, I know that's uh, been one of your files you've been heavily invested in. how how do you ra- I mean, there's been a lot of projects come forward, but I mean, how do you, in in your experience, how have you how do you rate the this how the city is doing on addressing homelessness and the progress so far? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that um, so so there's a couple pieces to that. Uh, on on the one hand, I think the city has been doing well in terms of providing additional funding for for affordable housing and and to support. Uh, uh, 
or homelessness, homeless population, uh, or you know, people that are experiencing homelessness, homelessness at the moment. Uh, but one of the challenges that we face is that we're not actually the folks that deliver these programs. That is the county. So, so within our role, we can you know facilitate sort of the um, the the applications, um, you know, changes in zoning. You know, we we can lend um, more moral and emotional support to the organizations that are actually doing the work, and we can uh, allocate some funds. Uh, because we are responsible for funding social services and housing, uh, so while we don't deliver those services, um, uh, we 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 are responsible for making sure that there's money uh, each year available to that. So um, this year uh, we've had a couple of applications. Now in uh, we we saw one coming up for the former Parkview Motel uh, that is now Grace Gardens, and they're you know in the process of of working on that on that project. There was another one um, for the um, the site at uh, Sheldale Crescent mm -hmm. uh, that was also approved by council. Uh, so those are two projects that that were underway for permanent supportive housing, and uh, I am very happy that now we have those those in place and. I mean, they still have to be developed and built, and and and. But at least we're moving in the right direction. Um, and and as you alluded, uh, this this week at city council, uh, the council planning meeting, we received um, a staff recommendation to approve uh, units for transitional housing over at 65 Del High. So that's that's a little bit different than than permanent supportive housing, uh, which is somewhere where folks can stay for the, the medium to long term until they find um, a regular um, apartment or, or house to move into, um, and that is what the, the the previous two projects over at Shelldale and at um, on Maryland Drive at Grace Gardens would be. Uh, this transitional housing is sort of one step before that, uh, that step between uh, a spot opening up that is permanent that has supports and folks that are all, you know, beyond the, the, the emergency shelter. So this is more, you know, a temporary stay. It might be a couple months, might be a few months, but it certainly helps get people off the streets. Uh, and I think that's especially important. Uh, it's one of the, the, the main concerns that I heard during my campaign and, and over the last couple of years. Um, that we should be doing better in, in our community. We have so many resources and, and we know what we need to do. We need to provide housing first to help get people off the streets, to, to help people who are you know, struggling um, to, to get back on track. So, uh, so I think that we are, you know, as, as a municipality uh, here in Guelph, we are doing what we can. And, and you see that in the, the three uh, unanimous approvals for, for these projects that, that we've seen this year. Uh, now, not everyone in the community has been happy uh, about those, particularly folks that live immediately next to next to those sites. But I think that's, you know, change is difficult. Um, <laughs> in this case, with uh, Wellington County as the, as, the, as the project lead, they have been quite good about talking to, uh, at least to, to James uh, and myself, the city councilors. Uh, they, they joined us on an information session back on, on June 20, I think it was the 29th, the Tuesday. Um, and they provided a lot of that operational information that we couldn't talk about during a planning meeting. So that, uh, that, that was good, good of them to, to be open to do that. And they also changed their plan. You know, they had originally said that the site could potentially be uh, also zoned as an emergency shelter. They took that off. 
uh, they came in wanting 36 rooms. You know, after hearing from the community, they they went down and they requested to only have 28 rooms to have um, slightly fewer people and slightly more um, common space or facility space in the building. So I think that it's going in the right direction. And um, what we heard um, at, the, at the meeting this week is, is their willingness to, um, to, to continue to work with the community as the next stages go in. Uh, you know, that, that would be the, the, the design of the building, how people are going to enter and leave, um, you know, whether they're going to be coming from Aramosa Road or from Delhi Street, uh, and just in, in general, the, I think what they call community safety through environmental design. So, you know, how do you build the actual building so that it's safest for everyone? Um, so I, I think we're moving in the right direction. When we think that two years ago, there was no uh, permanent supportive or, or you know, uh, housing in Guelph. I think now that we have two projects underway, we are, we're in the right direction. You laid out a number of different directions. I'm kind of want to take things, but I'll start with this one. Um, you did mention the County of Wellington. I know that Mayor Guthrie sits on that board as kind of an ex officio member. He doesn't have voting powers, but I mean, as a project like 65 Delhi, um, you know, it's the, the city and the county essentially working together on this. It's a county managed. It's in the city of Guelph. It's helping people who live here. And appreciating to what you said about like, their willingness to work with the community and that town hall you and James hosted. I mean, that's all great, but um, is there kind of a need, do you think, to formalize sort of these relationships and maybe make it so that the city of Guelph maybe has a bigger role in how social services uh, that are delivered by the county are, are managed in the city? Is It should, you know, maybe the city of Guelph have more say in those things or at least more of a voice or a voting voice as it were so yes uh, short answer (laughs) yes Uh, slightly longer answer Uh, the the mayor did sit for for many years uh, as a a non-voting member but actually Mm -hmm. as of last year uh the mayor has been able to to oh, okay. at those meetings so that that it has it, you know the the, the, the the dynamic of the relationship between the city and the county continues to to develop um and you know there, there is an agreement there whereas um the city does take care of paramedic services for the county and for the city right. and you know we deliver those both in Guelph and throughout Wellington County, uh, they do the same for us when it comes to to housing um, and social services. So it is um, an efficiency uh, of of scales. You know, they have the staffing team. So previously, uh, there was paramedic services delivered out of the city and out of the county, and uh, the city had staff members that dealt with housing. Um, You know, for several years now, we haven't had that redundancy. So now there is a concentration of expertise over in the county. Um, And there had been a challenge that that we identified a couple of years ago um, in that there was was a gap. The city was still responsible for allocating funds for affordable housing, but we no longer had the staff to help us uh, analyze proposals that came forward. So um, 
you know, as of this year, uh, so I think it was in the last two months, we actually finalized an agreement with the county. So now they will be the ones that review applications under affordable housing um, so that anyone that any private organization, community organization that wants to tap into the funds that the city puts aside for for housing will actually go through the county. So I, I am happy that we have aligned that way so that there's sort of, you know, if if you're a private developer and or if you're a non-profit organization and you're looking for uh, to build housing, you just you just talk to the county and then, mm -hmm. you know, they will help you find the right grants, um, get your project underway. And of course, we, the city still has a role to play in that. Um, but uh, I do appreciate that that we can uh, stick to our expertises. Um, and now that the county has a plan to end functional homelessness by 2023, I think that that it's best for us to 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 work with them and mm. to support them as we can, rather than to try and duplicate that. Now, um, I, I I do wish that we had more you know, more information uh, at times, um, but that that also falls on us uh, to to see what the county is doing. Um, and to look for those uh, supports and that communication. And one of the things that has come out of the latest application with 65 Delhi is now, you know, James and myself, we're both now in touch with the county, with the folks that are responsible for housing. We got a chance to meet face-to-person, face-to-face um, in, well, in virtual reality um, <laughs> online. Uh, so I, I'm going to continue working on that, those relationships. Um, but no, I, I don't think that we should be trying to duplicate uh, or to deliver the same service that the county is doing. I think we need to work more closely and support them to do the, the great work that they, they are doing. Since, I mean, it, it's an unusual circumstance that the two of the three projects you were talking about are in your ward. Um, mm -hmm. Both of them kind of controversial in their own way. I'm wondering if you could enlighten us about, and this was kind of addressed at the meeting too. You know, Grace Gardens had this sort of immediate visceral reaction from people, and as more of the pro more was learned about the project, that seemed to kind of calm down a little. Was there kind of a similar track with what happened with 65 Delhi, or um, I, gu I guess you know? Relatively speaking, you can't walk to, from Grace Gardens to 65 Delhi relatively quickly. But I mean, there is there's kind of the same kind of neighborhood. They're in the kind of the same rough neighborhood. So um, is what I guess what's the reaction to 65 Delhi stronger because it's the second project or like how would you compare those two um, engagements with the community uh, and how it turned out? I, I would say that they were both quite quite uh, strong reactions from the community and you know and, and anyone is going to be concerned about um, a new project going in on your neighborhood um, and especially a, a project that that provides social services to to a diverse population um, now that that Grace Gardens is underway I think one of the main differences uh, that we saw in, in the way that communication was rolled out with uh, Grace Gardens that was run primarily by, by the drop-in center. So they are, they're a smaller organization. Uh, they have a lot of experience running um, shelters um, and running uh, supportive housing uh, locations. So they're really good at doing that. But I think it was um, a bit of a new project for them to, to, to develop um, a, a new site. So I think that came with its challenges. Then when we saw the county take on their project, 
just by the nature of them being a level of government. They are the folks that run housing in Guelph and Wellington County. So they have lots of experience building bu buildings, building new projects. Uh, there was much higher level of communication, both with, with the neighborhood, with uh, city council, um, much more information coming forward ahead of time. So I think that uh, in terms of their the, the proponent's ability to to engage with the community uh, and their bandwidth to to deal and provide responses. I mean, the county was able to have a very informative website up and running. So I think that was quite helpful. So I think that there was certainly different levels of communication available and information available to uh, the, the community uh, as these projects sort of came online. Um, so I think that that, that I am grateful uh, for the way that the county uh, handled and the level of information they were able to provide. I think it answered a lot of the questions uh, because when we hear oppositions to, to projects that provide um, housing for folks that are experiencing homelessness, I think a lot of it is just information. What's going to happen in my neighborhood? Uh, who are my neighbors going to be? You know, is there is there going to be an increase in crime? Is there going to be uh, an increase in, in things that maybe I don't want to see in my neighborhood? So I think the the information about how the projects can be managed so that they, they blend in well with the community uh, goes a long way. Uh, and I think we saw a lot of that uh, happening uh, with uh, the county proposal for 65 Delhi. Of course, that's not going to make everyone happy. And, and at the end of the day, you're going to see that, um, you know, that there, there will be a transitional period, uh, as we are now seeing in Grace Gardens, you know, as they um, work out through, through, their, through their processes. Um, um, and I think, you know, as, as the mayor pointed out, people were considering um, appealing the the, the decision to change the zoning uh, over at the Parkview, but there was ultimately no, no appeal. Um, I think that uh, cooler heads prevailed um, and, and we saw the benefit that a project like that has on all the city. Now to your question about the concentration uh, in, in a particular area of the city, uh, yeah, we, are, we, we did notice that, but I think <laughs> largely, you know, we are in close proximity to the downtown and the downtown has services like the Guelph Community Health Center, uh, CMHA, uh, it has um, facilities that, that provide services for folks um, that, are, that are experiencing homelessness, that are um, trying to change their, their lives, turn things around. So it makes sense that, that these projects happen, you know, within a certain distance and uh, you know, Maryland Drive, it is it is a bit of a walk, but, you know, it is within a bus route, so you can get directly to downtown uh, by taking the bus. Uh, it's pretty quick. Uh, the Shelldale uh, location, it's also, you know, uh, it's a bit of a walk, but but you can also access it, um, busing, true. and 65 Delhi, it's actually a short walk to the downtown core. So I think yeah. that we will likely see other projects like this uh, in that sort of ring around the, the downtown to access services. But, you know, being being frank here, I'm hoping that they happen in words three, four, and five. <laughs> um, and, and so to, to spread, to spread, uh, you know, the, um, the, the concentration throughout the city. Because one of the things, and one of the reasons why these projects are, uh, you know, they, they will house between, you know, 25 to 35 uh, people. Um, it's because you don't want to create a ghetto where all of a sudden right. you have a, a part of the city uh, where you're, you're putting everyone that is experiencing homelessness, that is struggling with addictions. You don't want to concentrate that. And that is one of the reasons why these, the, the, these buildings have been spread out. So even though there's 
you know, they're both in War II. I would say they're in different parts of War II. 65 Delhi is actually on the current boundary between War I and War II, um, and in quite a different neighborhood. Uh, so I, I am hopeful that the next couple of projects that come up uh, in, you know, whenever they come up, I, I am not aware of any other project that is, is coming to council uh, at any time soon, but I did hear uh, from the uh, Guelph Poverty Elimination Task Force, the Guelph Wellington Poverty Elimination Task Force, that uh, there were four or five projects that were on the works to mm. provide uh, housing, both affordable and permanent supportive. So I'm hopeful that in the next year or two, uh, we'll see those coming to the city. Because uh, ultimately, we have about 150 folks uh, at any given time that are experiencing homelessness, homelessness in Guelph. And at the point where we have about 150 uh, permanent supportive housing units, then we'll have an ability to, to effectively um, provide uh, housing for, for someone that finds themselves on the streets without you know, having to, to wait for an extended period before a spot uh, becomes available. And then that's how we uh, eliminate homelessness, which is uh, having enough rooms uh, for, for folks who are struggling in the city. Well, keeping in mind those four, four or five projects that might be coming back, I mean, again, two of the three have been in your ward. You and James do a lot of really great uh, community engagement with your town halls. Um, is there lessons sort of like that, you, that you've learned that you could pass on to like future projects, like no matter where they're setting up in the city in terms of like engaging people early so that I, I think one of the things we continually hear from people is they feel like that this is kind of sprung on them uh, mm -hmm. no matter how the project comes up, whether it's like in a press release or it comes up in a council delegation, people think mm -hmm. that the, these projects kind of spring up overnight and that is probably not the case in, in almost all the cases. So, I mean, just from your experience communicating to your constituents, like what's the best advice to, to sort of, I, I guess, soften the blow the next time one of these applications comes up? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, I think oh, going through the proper uh, channels uh, of submitting an application for a change of zoning to the city um, and then having the city deliver a notice to the residents um, in the area before they read about it in the newspaper is a great way to start. I think one of the, the challenges that we saw, for example, with Grace Gardens is that it was raised as an idea at a council meeting. Uh, I, I don't think any of the councillors were aware that, that it was going to happen because there, there was um, a presentation to, to a different um, um, discussion topic that was dealing with funding for affordable housing. Um, so the, the way that it came out in the in the media before the neighbors were notified, I think that was problematic. Uh, I think that that it's best when the, the proponents and uh, the county was, was better at doing this, communicates with the neighbors where they're planning to do this first, provides information, uh, and then keeps an open dialogue to, to record uh, and, um, you know, the, the concerns raised by the community, and also to explain how those concerns are going to be addressed. Uh, I think that that really goes a long way. So it just, I mean, proactive communication ahead of time is, is best because no one likes reading about something that's going to happen in your neighborhood in the newspaper, um, and you didn't know about it. Right. Uh, we have a couple of minutes left, um, but given what happened at Committee of the Whole a couple of weeks ago, and you said it was a main concern with your constituents, the speeding issue, mm -hmm. uh, are you going to try again to 
get 30 kilometers per hour, the new limit, uh, or is that, is that Absolutely. ship sailed? Yes, You're going to try yes, again. Yes, I will. I've been uh, speaking with the mayor who has recently driven around uh, timing himself, going 40, going 30. Really, um, we, we should not be um, speeding through our neighborhoods. I understand that you want to do, you know, 50 when you're on a main road, when you're on Victoria, when you're on Speedville, but between your house and that main uh, arterial road, there is no reason for you to go any faster than 30. Uh, and, you know, the, those three, four blocks that you're going to drive, uh, the difference to your daily commute is negligible, but someone's life could be saved by by everyone doing that now staff is saying that people need time to adjust to get used to the new speeds uh to me um it's it's difficult i i believe that um it there is an adjustment period that will have to happen regardless of the new speed limit um, whether it's 40 people are going to be going 45 50 when it's 30 they're going to be going 35 40 um, so, so there is an adjustment period uh, that will have to happen and there is an additional outlay of cash that will have to happen when we have to replace all of the signs that say um, 40 going to 30. And, and I did check in with staff. Their estimation is that it would be about seven years, um, mm. um, well, uh, 2027, before they can explore uh, changing the, the limit to 30 if we go ahead and approve 40 now. So it means that we are proof going to 40 now in residential neighborhoods, uh, then that takes about a year to roll out. So in 2022, 23, that's happening. Then in 2027, we explore it. 2028, 29, it's happening. So we wouldn't really see 30 kilometers per hour in residential neighborhoods where people really don't need to be going faster uh, until the end of the decade, really. Mm. So I think we have the opportunity now to make that change. Um, and, and I think it is really a question of convenience versus safety. And I understand that um, uh, the, the, the community engagement was, was split on it. Uh, a lot of folks didn't see the need. But when we look at, at the stats, people die every year in Canada um, because of speeding. If we can prevent that from happening in our community, I think it's well worthwhile, uh, even if it does mean that it's going to take us another 15, 20 seconds uh, to get out of our neighborhood. Um, I think it's, it's well worth it. Well, we'll have to take the 15, 20 seconds to get us out of this interview because our <laughs> time is up. But uh, Rodrigo Guller, thank you so much for all your time today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Adam. And that was once again, Wards, I was going to say Ward 6, but that's not right. Ward 2 City Councilor Rodrigo Guller. And uh, stay tuned. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have Mayor Cam Guthrie on the show. And uh, we're going to have all sorts of people. There might be a surprise next week. I don't want to ruin the surprise. I also don't want to jinx it. So Scotty knows who I'm talking about. But I, 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 don't, want, I don't want to jinx it until it's in the can, as it were. I'll never tell. <laughs> <laughs> that was a that throwback to yeah. 2001. Um, anyway. Speaking of out of time, we are out of time for this week's show. Uh, you could uh, stay connected to us at our website at opensourcesguelph.com or on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire and on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you would like to listen to the show again, uh, you may do that. You can download it from the website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my news and politics site, 
at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all CFRU information, visit cfru.ca. You can find out everything that's going on or going to be going on or coming up and a complete archive of everything. It's all there. So check that out. Mm-hmm. And check out DJ Sounds Good to Me here at the top of the hour on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We'll be back, of course, next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another brand new edition of Open Sources. And we'll see you then. <laughs>